and welcome to Pound the Rock, an NBA podcast by The Score. I'm your host, William Liu. I'm joined in studio by my fellow co-host, Jessica Sharo. What's going on? Joe Wolfon. What up? Uh, first, before we get into the podcast, I want to say a quick shout out, a uh, quick plug to uh, Wolfon's piece. Um, he tried out for the Raptors 905, which is their G League affiliate, and uh, he came away with um, a very, very heartwarming tale about sort of what goes on in these practices and who are the people behind um, you know, these dreams. So, Wolfon, tell me about your piece and tell people why you should read it on the Score app. Um, yeah, if you want to basically read a story about what it's like for just an average Joe, uh, to, literally, yeah, to to stroll into uh, an open tryout where you know probably uh, the majority of guys there have played you know competitive basketball at least the college level. Uh, a lot of them played pro, and the majority of them had legitimate pro basketball aspirations. So um, for me, like I never played high school or college basketball. Um, I'm a you know a, a decent pickup basketball player, but. Um, the the golf and talent uh, was pretty stark, and um, yeah, it was mostly a, a pretty humbling experience for me. But um, I, you know, I'm a, I guess I'm glad that I did it, um, and it gave me just kind of a sense of perspective and and uh, a peek into uh, kind of what goes on at these open tryouts. And um, Mike Cabongo, who was probably like the most prominent uh, player who was at that open tryout. Um, a Toronto native uh, who had like a really promising high school career and uh, seemed to be headed to the NBA. He was a McDonald's high school All-American seven years ago. Uh, he actually uh, reportedly just got a G League contract from the Raptors. So um, these open tryouts can bear fruit. Um, I think Jonathan Simmons is probably like the most famous example of a guy who got a spot, a G League spot on an open tryout and actually ended up, you know, making the NBA and getting himself a, a nice contract from the Magic. Um, so, you know, it can be a path to uh, the NBA. Obviously, that's not really, like, the expectation for most of the guys there. But um, it was it was kind of it – was, it was a nice atmosphere and, like, not entirely what I was expecting. So um, if you want to read more about that, my story uh, is up on uh, thescore.com and the Score app. And, um, yeah, give it a read if you want to know more about the experience. Uh, quickly – What's your game like? What's your pickup game like? Because you mentioned you're a decent pickup player. Yeah, I mentioned in the piece I compare myself to TJ McConnell. Um, is that physically or is that within the game? I mean, because you're more like Luke Ridenour. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, that's fair. Look, I, Luke Ridenour was uh, one of my favorite Sonics growing up, so I don't hate the comparison. But I guess in that particular environment um i was mostly just like trying to stay out of the way and not try to do too much was camping out in the corner if i was wide open i would shoot the ball if i wasn't i would like try and make the next pass and just like get out of the way as quickly as i could Mm -hmm. um but just not trying to do too much trying to be a facilitator and uh just get by on grit because the talent (laughs) isn't really there but uh in a pickup setting i might be like a little bit more assertive if i'm playing against people kind of like more at my own level Mm -hmm. Uh, i'll try to put the ball on the floor and get to the basket uh, I'm actually like pretty decent at getting to the hole. I just am not a good finisher. So wow, <laughs> so you like a lot of missed layups. Did you take any bumps? No, not really. Like I was going in there with the attitude that like I, I really just like didn't want to get injured. I had a softball game the next day, so okay. <laughs> um, yeah, like I and the the thing was like in the scrimmages, um, they split us up into two groups and like. For the most part, uh, I think the guys that they were like really interested in bringing to camp, they they put on one side of the floor, and the guys who they weren't as interested, they put on another. Wow! So which side were you on? <laughs> I think you can probably figure that out for yourself. <laughs> okay. um, 
so the level in my in the scrimmages that I was participating in at the end weren't wasn't like extraordinarily high. I, I was still definitely like in over my head, but um, there was usually like a guy on the other squad who was like close enough to my same height uh, that I could check that guy and just like uh, do a decent job on defense and wasn't going to get totally overwhelmed. And I wasn't like cracking down into the paint or like <laughs> playing any help defense at the rim where there was a chance that I was going to get dunked on or mm-hmm. um, kicked in the face. So. Uh, I played a, a pretty low risk game and uh, just uh, you know tried to play within my own limits. Right. And um, um, oh yeah, the, the one burning question for me is I look at the uh, the feature image for this piece. Is, oh no! <laughs> did you wear the shades <laughs> during the tryout? Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep that one a secret. I like it. Yeah, we'll keep it under wraps. Right. I've actually never seen you in those shades except for <laughs> in these feature images. Um, but yeah, I mean. It, Seriously, it's a, it's a wonderful piece. Um, you should read it on the score app. You can read all of the scores, feature content, whether it's you know soccer, football, basketball, hockey, um, you know baseball as well. You know, kicking into the playoffs, you can find it all on the score app and on the score.com. All right, on to the podcast. So, let's start here with a bit of news and notes from around the association. Preseason is in full effect. Every single team has played. Some teams are in China. Other teams are you know jet setting around the world. Um, making various appearances. Let's start in uh, Toronto, where Kawhi Leonard um, has made two appearances, and he looks fairly sharp. I mean, he's had 19 free throw attempts in 38 minutes. He's 9 for 20 from the field. Um, but more more impressively, really, he's just had a couple of really good highlights that have really reinforced and encouraged the excitement in Toronto. Um, what have you guys seen from Kawhi Leonard, and how much more of Kawhi uh, do you need to see before you're convinced that uh, he's in top gear? Uh, look, I don't think anyone watching him would think this is peak Kawhi yet. Uh, far from it. And even his shot at times has looked a little wonky. It's kind of like taking him a little bit to settle in uh, to games, it seems. But yeah, the one, the most encouraging thing is definitely his ability to get to the free throw line. And even though, um, you know, Kawhi, even at his peak, he kind of, and Nick Nurse actually talked about this, how. The beauty with Kawhi is he almost like slows the game down and you can see just watching the game the way he can slow a game down and and maybe get to the rim and make plays without it seeming like he's operating at full speed. I think that's been on display already in the two preseason games, even in just the the kind of up and unders and these like little quirky moves he's making to get to the rim or to get uh, to draw fouls. It it doesn't look like he's blowing you away with athleticism, even though he probably is, but Mm -hmm. he just he gets it done. And yeah, I think that's been encouraging. Uh, one thing not a lot of people realize about Kawhi, you know, they talk about his defense and his general two-way game and his shooting and all this, but like this guy is actually elite at getting to the free throw line. In his last healthy season, right. he was among the top 20 non-bigs right. in um, free throw rate, uh, free throw attempt rate, you know, like free throws uh, um, divided by field goal attempts. So it's something he can do and it's something it looks like he can still do, which is super encouraging. His defense doesn't look like it's... 100% on point yet, but you can see little flashes here and there of just his length, his hands kind of disrupting things, getting in passing angles, um, covering a lot of ground on the defensive end, helping and recovering. So I think I think for the most part, it's encouraging. Uh, but if, to be honest, I think the most encouraging thing is that you can see how far he is from being 100% and yet still see the impact he has on an NBA game. Yeah, I would say I need to see quite a bit more from him before... I am convinced that he is going to get back to his like 2016-17 level. Um, not saying it's not going to happen, but 
to me, it just sort of feels like he's moving at like two thirds speed right now, and it is preseason, so you could say that's probably by design. He's coming back from a serious injury, but um, he hasn't looked like particularly explosive to me. Uh, and I'll echo what Cash says. Like, I think what he has reminded me of is that he's just like a really, really good one-on-one player. I think it's funny because, like, you know, the Raptors ship out DeMar DeRozan, who for so long was seen as kind of, like, part of the problem, I guess, with Toronto's offense and that, you know, they would devolve into isolation late in games. And I feel like they've been running way more ISO in these first couple of preseason games than they were last year. Right. Um, And a lot of that has just been, like, kind of running ISO for Kawhi, who is really, really hard to stop uh, one-on-one. And that's, I think, why he's been piling up the free throws that he has. Um, His footwork remains, I think, uh, pretty immaculate and um, just kind of like the jab steps and the mm-hmm. jukes and like his ability to kind of hold the ball out there with one hand and then uh, like pull out these fakes and then put the ball on the floor like shaking defenders out of their shoes like all that is still there it's a little MJ-esque not comparing just describing well just the fact that he can palm the ball with such ease makes yeah, it like yeah. I think so easy for him to uh, like pull defenders off their feet basically right. uh, like they, they basically have no idea where he's going to go with the ball um, and it makes him really effective uh, when he's going one-on-one in open space. But, like, the explosiveness I haven't seen from him yet. And, like, I think part of it is that, like, the Raps have been kind of experimental with their lineups and also with their defensive scheme. They're doing, like, a lot of switching. They busted out a bit of zone last game. And I feel like they have had him kind of guarding in the post a little bit more than they've had him guarding on the perimeter. Right. So... It might take some time before we see, you know, him settle into uh, the kind of player that he was a couple of years ago. But uh, I think there are enough encouraging signs early on to to think that he'll get there in time. Yeah, for sure. Look, I need to see Kawhi do this over more than 20-minute spurts. Because right now the Raptors are playing him heavy minutes in the first half of the first two games. And then letting him sit for the second half. Which is not just, you know exclusive to Kawhi. I mean, they're doing the same thing with Kyle Lowry and to a lesser extent CJ Miles, things like that. But um yeah, I mean so far I think Raptors fans should be very encouraged. I think Raptors fans are very encouraged. Um it's a it's a little bit funny to me that he's not really fully up to speed on defense and he's shooting a lot of mid range shots and it's a little bit like he's DeMar DeRozan, but he's it's it's just it's just funny. That's it's just funny, that's all. But obviously we know that um Kawhi is going to be um you know, a different force, especially sort of when it matters most. I think stylistically, he, he won't be as visually and aesthetically appeasing offensively as DeRozan. Click Kawhi has a very straightforward game, right? He has like some straightforward fakes. They're very effective and he gets to a shot. And it's like everything with Kawhi is like, it's kind of his personality, right? It's just like, it's bare bones. It's like whatever gets from me from point A to point B, I'm going to do that. And that's what he does. Um, but I think that what Raptors fans should really watch for is that like he has like legitimate size that's one issue that DeRozan has faced in the playoffs is that um, he gets overwhelmed by size overwhelmed by physicality he gets knocked off his game and when the free throws don't come the, sh- the, the actual results don't come either whereas with Kawhi he's bigger he's taller he can hold he's stronger he's just physically stronger he's longer as well it's harder to actually you know knock him off his game physically and so um, as long as that part sort of, you know, um, is able to translate, which it should, and we've seen it happen before in the playoffs, then the Raptors shouldn't have any worries. But right now, I think the immediate concern is just getting up to, like, around 30 minutes a game because he's playing, like, about 15. Yeah, and the thing is, too, like, I feel like the one thing that I never worry about in preseason with anybody, whether it's health-related or just guys getting their, like, legs under them, is shooting. Right. And if, if there's, you know, if there's one thing you'd look at and be like, oh, what's going on? It's, he's 10 of 19 from the free throw line and 1 of 6 from yeah. 3. That's the one thing where it's like... 
I don't even think that's necessarily like injury related or recovery right. related. It's just just rust, right? Like Kawhi's an eighty-five percent exactly. career free throw shooter, and an it's almost not forty percent three-point shooter at times, right? Like, so he's not just suddenly going to devolve into being like a sixty percent free exactly. throw shooter, right? I think it'll just take a bit of time to shake off that rust and get comfortable shooting the ball again. Um, so yeah, I think encouraging signs. Like I definitely don't think he's close to being all the way back, but um, hopefully we'll we'll start to see his workload ramp up a bit. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully we'll start to see him go, uh, like, whether he's just, like, saving himself a little bit and, and playing at, like, half speed right now, or, uh, you know, he's legitimately compromised athletically. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just very curious to see uh, what he looks like when the regular season kicks off. Move on to the next point. The Washington Wizards are already in trouble for their bad behavior. Um, Markeith Morris, who is sort of a known hothead, Got ejected from the first preseason game for taunting uh, a rookie in Nick's second-round pick, Mitchell Robinson, who was kind of dunking all over him for a bit. Um, after the game, Scott Brooks said, quote, We have to take responsibility and we have to change. We can't continue the same behavior and expect the results to change. We have to control it. Now, the concern with Washington every single year is whether or not they can be on their best behavior and just come together and maximize their talents, which... They have a lot of talent. They just get in their own way a lot. And right from the get-go, it seems like there are already sort of issues. And it's kind of sad that Scott Brooks has to remind him of this after one preseason game. Cash, are you worried about this? All right, look. I don't know how many podcasts I need to go on Wizards Rants, all right? But this, this, there's nothing left to say about this team, man. Like, um, I think it was media day. I think it was Keefe, actually. Mark Keefe on media day. Um says something along the lines of like how he doesn't think the Celtics were better than them in any of the last two seasons. I think it was Markeith who said that, mm. um, which is like the most Wizards thing ever. Like they finished ahead of you in the standings two years in a row. They beat you in the playoffs one of those two years, mm-hmm. and you're still saying you don't think they were better in any of the two years. We heard him say, didn't Markeith say after the Raptors eliminated them in six games that sometimes the best team doesn't always win or something? Yeah, like, I mean. These guys just, they're so delusional. When it comes to their place in the East, in the league, on a personal level, on a team level. And then, yeah, like, they bring in Dwight Howard and, to a lesser extent, Austin Rivers in this locker room that already seems to be a little, not a little, very toxic when it comes to the way they deal with each other. And, you know, that's the question is, like, can they can they get along? And then we're one preseason game in. It's early, mid-October, whatever the hell it is, right? Early October, and... Scott Brooks is already having to come out talking about, you know, like the Einstein quote of like insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And Marquise getting ejected. And yeah, okay, it wasn't, maybe it was a bit of a quick trigger on the ejection. Yeah, I don't think he did anything. He was just talking trash. He was just talking trash. Which, whatever. But still, he already had one tech. Why are you you talking trash? But like, it's just, it's just so very Wizards, you know? But I think we got to differentiate here, right? Because it's one thing to come out and say like, you know, we think we're the best team in the east or we think we're better than the celtics like i don't know that saying that stuff actually necessarily has a negative effect on the team and like on the one hand i think you probably want a team to exude a certain level of confidence you know you don't necessarily want it to bleed into like entitlement uh or getting complacent but um i I don't necessarily think that that's an objectively bad thing that's that's completely different than locker room turmoil um or players getting themselves ejected in preseason for doing stupid stuff like um, that's something, you know, they, they obviously have to deal with. But as far as just, like, talking trash and puffing up their chest and, like, thinking maybe that they're a little bit better than they are, I mean, 
I, I don't know. It's That's kind of like identity. an it's That's like an endearing part of their identity at this point, and I don't necessarily have a problem with it. I think, look, at a certain point, they have to produce results, right? I mean, they can keep talking as much as they want, and nobody's going to take it seriously until they actually do something. And like, they are a talented team. I think you know, for the past few years, they probably have underachieved a little bit based on like the true talent level on that roster, and. For for them, I just think like health is probably going to be the biggest thing, and if they stay healthy, like they should be hovering around like a top four seed in the Eastern Conference. Like they should be within striking distance of that. I think just based on on how good they are, and I don't know. The rest of this stuff to me is just a, a distraction. So one guy that does look rather healthy is John Wall. Um, I don't know, man. I don't think that Vegas picture was entirely inaccurate. Is how I would put that one. Well, and uh, he's he's now getting into Twitter fights with people telling him to stay out of the club, and so I mean he's telling other people to get in the gym. Like, mm. well, here's what I was gonna say. Like, I agree with what Joe was saying in that. Like, on the surface, yes, these two things don't have to be related. But I think look, Wiz- when you're getting kicked out of the game. No, but I think with the Wizards, if you look back over the last few years, and a pattern has emerged, and Scott Brooks kind of touched on it. But like, to me, it does bleed together because. Like, maybe this complacency that they have and this very, like, nonchalant attitude that they seem to carry themselves with when they really haven't accomplished anything, maybe it is somehow tied to the fact that they, like, crap the bed every November and December and have to, you know, play catch up the rest of the year. Maybe it is related to the fact that they never end up getting the seed that their talent, you know, should uh, attain and end up having to say open uh, against Toronto as the 8-1 matchup or, you know, whatever the case may be, I think it does actually bleed together because they seem to come into every year with the mindset. And like, yes, I completely agree. Teams should be confident, especially one this talented, but they seem to come in with the mindset of like, oh no, like, we're, you know, we show up, we're the best team here. Like no one can touch us. And then it's like two weeks into the season and the Wizards are three and six and there's a players only meeting because it's like, oh, wait. You know, maybe we're not like, you know what I'm saying? Like it, yeah, they should be confident, and it doesn't necessarily have to be related. Like the way they puff their chests out might not be related to the team turmoil, but I actually think it is all related. It like bleeds into each other because this team just once needs to show up from the beginning of October and say, you know what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we believe in our talent. We believe like talent-wise, we can play with anybody. Right. But we haven't done ish yet. Right. Um, and we're going to like go balls to the wall from October 1st to whenever the hell we get eliminated and see where it takes us. And they right. never do that. Never. Do never. you think, just to play like a little bit of devil's advocate here, do you think that this is related to the fact, like if you look at their starters, and their starting unit has been pretty consistently good over the last few years, like I feel like they almost have like a legitimate claim to be like, you know, we're up there among the best teams in the Eastern Conference. And like it seems like every year they're kind of undone by how bad their bench is. And I feel like maybe that's part of the dissonance there is the fact that like their starters are being like, yeah, we're really good, respect us, but uh, the team as a whole like hasn't really hung together just because like they they never really have any kind of a, a, a decent reserve unit to back them up. So it's it's almost like you're saying that the architect of oh this my team, God. <laughs> who's been in his job for 14 oh. years despite no NBA success, should have his job question. It's almost feels like that's what you're saying well i think they actually do have like a little bit more depth this year than they have had in the past yeah like austin rivers is actually you know he all, gets, all jokes aside he's really turned himself into a decent player and uh jeff green had that great game seven against the <laughs> okay yeah no nah, no nah, their bench is still trash all right moving on um in chicago all right there's a lot of optimism in chicago as well uh, unfortunately, that's been undercut a little bit because Laurie Markkinen uh, has suffered an elbow sprain in his right arm. He's expected to be out six to eight weeks. 
does this open an opportunity for Chicago to other bigs? And do you see this, um, you know, as a, a big opportunity for both Bobby Portis and also Wendell Carter? Yeah, sure. Uh, and I think, look, the good thing about where Chicago's at right now is they are pretty much freed from the expectation of winning. And they should. Are they though? Because they did sign like Jabari Parker to like essentially a one-year, twenty million dollar deal. Like they kind of, I feel like they kind of want to go for something this year, even though their team sucks. I don't get that sense. I mean, okay. especially because look, for, for one thing, like you have to hit the salary floor anyway. If it was a longer-term deal, I feel like that would actually almost be different. Like the fact that it's a short-term deal, I feel like suggests to me it's like okay, this is sort of an audition. Mm-hmm maybe we'll see if it works and we'll sign you long term but like for now we're just like putting together sort of a patchwork roster for this year to see how it goes see how you can fit here um and we'll go from there like i don't i don't think there's any great expectation or pressure there to win and i think for them they they could totally just look at this as an opportunity to get wendell carter more reps and you know bring him up to speed as fast as they possibly can because they don't necessarily have to do anything this year and um I, I like I do think it's a big year for Markinen. So when he comes back, like he's going to play a lot and probably take some of those opportunities away from Portis and Carter. But uh, in the meantime, yeah, they they should give those guys free reign. And I think Portis is actually pretty good. Uh, I thought he had a, like a sneakily good season last year, and you know, obviously that was sort of lost in the midst of the turmoil um, that he incited um, by punching Nico Miritich in the face like the day before the season started. <laughs> But when he... He, he would when, make a great wizard, by the way. Bobby Portis. Yeah. Like, they got to sign him. <laughs> That's the next trade to go down. But when he came back, I thought he, he actually played pretty well. Um, and I don't know how much more he can really expand his game. That's sort of my concern. Like, I, right. I don't... Like, I, I feel like there are certain physical limitations there that are going to prevent him from being sort of like a five-position like five defender. Um but he has like expanded his range out to the three-point line, which I think has opened things up for him at the offensive end. And I think, you know, he has a chance to be a starting caliber big. So I'm interested to see what they look like. Um, I'm more interested to see what they look like when Markinen comes back, I think, just because I think he's an interesting player who has a chance to actually be like a blue chipper uh, moving forward. But for now, yeah, it's a good chance for them to, uh, to get their other young guys some run. Yeah, I think despite what some Bulls fans think, this team is not going to be good. They're not going to be no. close to good. They're going to be one of, if not the worst defensive team in the league. It's it's going to be bad, but it might be fun. And look, the, the Bulls have nothing but time, to be honest with you. Um, there's no harm in just letting these, throwing these guys out there. And Portis had a bit of a breakout year last year. Yeah, exactly. I, I think still has room to grow, as Joe was mentioning. And Wendell Carter, I, I know it was just summer league, but he looked really good at, at points in summer league. And he's looked decent in the preseason so far. So, Again, they've got nothing but time. They absolutely mm-hmm. should be giving Markinen's minutes to those guys instead of, you know, a non-future guy that they have. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't, who are the non-future guys they have? Is like uh, Cristiano Felicio still there? Like, yeah, I don't know why Felicio's still there. To be honest, um, I guess it's just Robin Lopez who has grown out uh, a very ridiculous. Um, you know, facial hair combination, um, and he, you know, is kind of, he's not begging for a trade, but I mean, like, he's one of those guys where you would look out and you wouldn't be surprised if he was bought out and, and latched on with a contender or something, because he does not really need to be on this team. All right, um, out west, <laughs> the Los Angeles Lakers are actually moving forward with having Kyle Kuzma as their center. They really have um, talked about this quite a bit. I mean, it was very obvious from the get-go based on how the Lakers built the roster that they wanted to play small. 
but they have no centers basically at all. They have JaVale, who is effective for short spurts, but he has asthma, and he actually can't play extended full like 30-plus minutes without there being some sort of um, uh, downgrade in production. And then you look at the rest of that roster. It's Mo Wagner, who is kind of hurt right now, a little bit nagging injury. He hasn't played yet. He's a rookie regardless. And then I'm not sure how to say his name. Zubach. I'm just going to say Zubach. All right. Um, he is also... You know, not a proven player by any means. He's coming into his third year. He hasn't really impressed much, and uh, there's physical limitations there. So the Lakers really do need to play one of their wings at center. We all thought it was going to be LeBron because he's the biggest one of them, but right now it seems to be Kyle Kuzma. And Kuzma's already said, quote, I've never really played the five before, which is not surprising. I mean, like, you're only like six foot seven, six foot eight. Um, and he's pretty skinny. But, um, yeah, I mean, do you think this is going to work, the small ball experiment, or do you think the Lakers inevitably have to go get a center? I do think they inevitably have to go get a more capable big. Um, like you mentioned, JaVale's, I guess, nominally would be their starting center if they wanted to go that route. Zubac has, like, shown flashes at times, but you're not starting him on a team that wants to win right now. Um, I think, look, I, that fault lies with Magic and Palinka and, mm-hmm. you know, the architects of this team. And again, I do think they're going to need to address that at some point this season. But from Luke Walton's standpoint, I get it, man. Like, I'm a big believer in you play your five best guys and you kind of figure it out. And it's not ideal, obviously, to be at the size uh, disadvantage they'll be at. But I think we can all agree that some combination of LeBron, Ingram, Kuzma, probably Lonzo, and one other guy um, would be their five best. And it's not a big man. So, from Luke Wallen's perspective, I get it. Like, he's just trying something. It's the preseason. Um, LeBron, LeBron, for now, has been on record saying he understands it's going to be about patience this year. So, I think he does have to test these things and, and kind of find what works. But, yeah, I, I get it, man. He's trying to find his best five-man combination. And for this team, none of those combinations involves a big man. I think the thing, like, you look at even the teams that have kind of perfected small ball, like the Warriors and the Rockets last year, you know, playing like Draymond at the five or P.J. Mm-hmm. Tucker at the five. They would still only do that for small portions of games, right? right? And, like, especially in the regular season. Because you can't do that for 82 games. Like, you can't do that for 25 minutes a game because you, for one thing, like, you risk just absolutely getting destroyed on the glass. Um, and the Warriors, even, like, trying to go small against the Rockets in that series last year, like, got destroyed on the glass by Clint Capella. Um and you also risk just, like, totally burning out your forwards who right. are kind of overextended at the five. And, like... Kyle Kuzma is not going to thrive as the last line of defense. And, uh, you know, like, they... Probably, like, your solution there is, like, you have to play a lot of front defense, right? And then you end up, like, bringing help over from the weak side. And, like, right. that just, like, makes everything... Like, it, it puts a strain on the rest of your defense because you get yourself into rotations. And it's, like... And then it's even harder to rebound when you're out of position. Totally. And, and I just think, like, the, it opens up problems, like, in all other facets of the game that... um. I don't know, man. I just think like it's gonna it's gonna tax the Lakers roster as a whole until they find I think a, a more serviceable big man. I mean, Javale McGee is fine. He's actually done really well so far. In preseason. He's fine. Like you know, and maybe look, he's been like a ten minute a game player for the last few years. Like maybe they right. can they can bring him up to like being like a twenty minute a game player, and that helps in some regard. I just By I think way, he's, played, he's played over twenty minutes five times. In the last five years. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, there's definitely, like, a question about whether he can sustain, like, his kind of energy level uh, over, like, a starter's workload as opposed to, like, in 10-minute spurts, it's easy to be, like, energetic and get up and down the floor. But, like, if you're being asked to play, like, 20, 25 minutes a game, then it's kind of a different story. Not a uh, traditional five in any by any sense, but uh, you know who would have been really good as a small ball five for this team? Mm. 
Julius Randle. Yeah. yeah, it didn't uh, <laughs> didn't make too much sense there. I, look, I think one of the other issues in terms of just like the Lakers not going with any centers is just like how easily they're conceding fouls. I mean, like, n- never mind the fact that Mason Plumlee uh, went like a perfect 11 for 11 against the Lakers in a preseason game. Just never mind that. It's just like when you watch the Lakers play small, they just end up fouling. They foul everybody. And if you are in foul trouble and you're sort of giving all this stuff back, then there's no real advantage to you playing small. You're like, there's too big of a cost. Like, yeah, you want spacing, you want this and that. But, like, I don't know, man. Either LeBron has to do it because LeBron's the only big wing they have. They have long wings, but they're all skinny like Brandon Ingram. Um, but we've also seen yeah. what LeBron's defensive effort level is like in the regular season. And, yeah. and it's he's not up to the task of playing the five on anything resembling a full-time basis. Like... Yeah. They should trade. They should make a trade. Well, just look at all, all, all like the the talented centers in the Western Conference that they're going to have to go up against. Yeah, you know, like Jokic, Towns, like Capella, Lamarcus Aldridge. Like, yeah. what are they going to do against these guys who are huge and skilled? Yeah, I I just don't know if they're going to have the answers, and it continues to like baffle me that yeah, Julius Randle was out there in the offseason. You know, mm-hmm. DeAndre Jordan was out there. Um, I mean, Dwight Howard was out there. Like, uh. Clint Capella, like all these guys were free agents and they chose to go after none of them and to sign JaVale McGee and call it a day. And I, I hate to keep harping on this. It's just like they really assembled such a strange roster. Um, and I, maybe they'll find a way to make it work, but I definitely have questions. Um, all right, last uh, news item for this week. Um, the NBA has implemented some rule changes. Uh, there are sort of expanded... Um, opportunities to review plays sort of quote-unquote hostile acts and there are um there's been a slight change to the clear path rule although it's not going to change too much it's not going to be more or less the big change however is that the shot clock will reset to 14 after offensive rebounds which should uh speed up the game do you think this is a good or bad change for the league because i could see both arguments because Let's say you get an offensive rebound late in the game. Someone gets a big tap out, and it's like a huge play. That used to be great because you get another 24 seconds to just kill the clock. When it, right now, you, you wouldn't get that. You know what I mean? And and I can see that being a detraction. But also, like, it's it's kind of encourages teams to play faster throughout the rest of the game, which I think uh, the league is clearly wants to do. They, they like the league being heavy on offense. Yeah, I think the way you judge it is based on what the league was trying to do by implementing these changes and whether the changes will then help them do that. And I think from that perspective, I completely agree with it and think it will be a success because what Adam Silver and and company want to do and what they've been trying to do for the last couple of years, too much success is shorten, even if it's by a few minutes, you know, Mm -hmm. every night, shorten the amount of time an NBA game takes to play and shorten that TV window. Um, And again, they've done a good job of it in the last couple of years and also make it a little more exciting for the TV audience, right? So yeah, if... Before, if it's, you know, a tie game and uh, there's a big offensive rebound and a tap out and the team regains possession with 22 seconds left, it's like, well, now we hold for the last shot. Right. That won't be the case anymore. You still know there's probably going to be a couple shots. I think it makes it a little more exciting. Um, It encourages, you know, when it's not an end-of-game situation, it just encourages teams to speed up a little more Mm -hmm. and get more shots up, essentially, more scoring. So I think when you look at it from what they were trying to accomplish, it's going to be a success. Do you think this is going to discourage offensive rebounding? Because it's already been on a decline um, because teams are so much uh, valuing transition defense and keeping everyone back. Like, if you only give them 14 seconds to play offense, like, that should, in theory, even further uh, depreciate the value of an offensive rebound. I've kind of long thought that offensive rebounding has become sort of like a market inefficiency almost because 
it has been on the decline and teams are like focused more on transition defense and there are like you know particular coaches who really emphasize that too uh like steve clifford being one greg popovich another um although he kind of gave the spurs a little bit more free reign to crash the offensive glass last year uh and i think for for one thing, I mean, getting a fresh 24 was, like, a huge incentive. Uh, and the other thing is, like, the most efficient possessions come off of offensive rebounds. So there's kind of, like, a double whammy there, basically being able to, like, control possessions and also getting, like, ultra-efficient possessions off of that. So if you had, like, a Steven Adams on your team, um, whose offensive rebounding, to me, is, like, one of the foremost elite skills in the league you know given just like the gap between him and like the second best offensive rebounder in the game um it was so valuable because you're creating so many extra possessions for one thing mm-hmm. um and it's freeing russell westbrook up to like basically freelance a little bit more and like not worry necessarily about uh missing layups or missing jump shots because you know you have somebody like that to basically clean it up and get you extra possessions um and then you're creating more efficient offense out of those offensive rebounds as well I think if it is a disincentive, like it won't be a significant one because I think 14 seconds in the half court is still plenty enough time to like get efficient looks. Um, but I mean, I, I don't know. I guess like the, the fact that like you can kind of like control tempo by by getting 24 and an additional 24 seconds is like uh, more valuable than getting 14. So it might be a slight disincentive. But like you were saying, it was always like already kind of trending downwards. So. I, I this won't reverse the trend like it might uh continue driving it downward or i don't know it might just plateau but uh, i continue to think that like offensive rebounds are undervalued right um the other rule that is not new but it was kind of reinforced is that the nba has sort of um you know if you, you've noticed it in preseason right um where teams are getting called for a lot more fouls off the ball and that's part of the initiative to sort of reinforce the freedom of movement rules that have been in place for over a decade now. Um, and to sort of put that into perspective, Charlotte, the Hornets, led the league with 27 free throw attempts last season. Um, right now in preseason, now it's very early, it's only been a week, but um, 18 teams are averaging 27 or more free throw attempts per game. Um, do you think this is a sign of more to come in terms of just free throws on the rise across the league? Or do you think this is one of those cases where the referees get a new initiative, they call everything to start the year, and then they eventually back off? I think that they will probably back off. I feel like every year, like the officials make a big show in the preseason right. of like enforcing these quote unquote new rules or uh, new mandates. And oh my god, the delay of game stuff was just yeah, yeah, it was one of the more notable examples. So I, I definitely expect it to ease up, and I don't entirely understand the point of this because look. NBA offense is basically at its peak right now, right? Like yes. it's like teams are scoring more than they ever have before. So it's like either now or the eighties. It depends. Right. Well, I think in terms of just like offensive rating, like they were playing right. at a faster pace in the eighties. Right. But now I think teams are scoring at least more efficiently than they ever have before. It's not like I didn't get the sense that there was like an issue here where it was like they had to implement the hand checking rules in like the early two thousands because offenses had stalled out to mm-hmm. the extent that the game was becoming unwatchable. I don't think we're at that point right now. Like the game is pretty free, uh, like open, free flowing, um, and so introducing like more stoppages in play and like having a tighter whistle, I don't know is like necessarily going to improve the product at all. Uh, yeah, just so to clarify, the they put in the three new rules um, this summer. This one was 
not part of their rule changes, part of their like points of education or points of emphasis. And it's like right. more freedom movement on the perimeter in the post. And also mm. traveling is like a point of emphasis. Which, that's like every single exactly. year, man. <laughs> but that, that's, too, that's too what you were saying earlier, right? Is, yeah. And what Joe was saying too, like they're going to make a show of things maybe in the preseason. Maybe they'll call an extra travel on like LeBron or James Harden or something or Giannis. And then, I don't know, by November, we're going to forget about most of this. Um, obviously not the actual rule changes like the shot clock or uh, after an offensive rebound or the changes to the clear path fouls and hostile acts. But in terms of like the points of emphasis and education, we'll be forgetting about those by November, December at the latest. Yeah. As usual. All right, um, we're going to take a quick break here, and then when we come back, we're going to look at some preseason trends that are notable and also make some bold predictions for the upcoming season. Hey, listeners. A friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to Pound the Rock on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. We also urge you to check out our other shows on the Scores Podcast Network. For baseball fans, there's Expand the Zone, Sweeper Keeper, covers the world of soccer, and there's the Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone. Please also download the Score app where you can find all our feature content, live scores, and the most up-to-date breaking news. Thank you, and back to Pound the Rock. Welcome back to Pound the Rock. Um, We are going to move into the preseason trends to watch. Um, I'll get it started. Uh, It's very early, but... Uh, the Boston Celtics look a bit disjointed. Obviously, there's a lot of hype for the Celtics this season. People expecting 65-plus wins, expecting them to go to the finals. Jalen Brown has already said, you know, we should be in the finals, which makes sense. You know, they took the Cavaliers to seven games in the Eastern Conference Finals last season, and that was without Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward, who they both have back from their respective injuries this season. However, they look very disjointed from the field right now. Uh, I think collectively, as a team, they're shooting under 30% from three, which you can expect in preseason, but still. Uh, and more concerning is that Brad Stevens is come out, and he is sort of uh, called his own team out for not trying very hard, for not being together, for not uh, playing cohesively. He said, quote, We're not as good as advertised right now. Um, I couldn't be more unimpressed, and that there is no shot that we dominate off talent alone. Um, one of the concerns right now, actually, to watch, in addition to sort of as a larger point uh, towards uh, Boston being disjointed, is that Gordon Hayward is shooting 25% from the field, 10% from deep. Uh, he's playing mostly power forward. He's not really finishing around the basket much. And, uh, you know, obviously it's very early. It's only been 11 months since he shattered his foot. But he looks a little bit closer to Paul George when he first came back from injury, when he was averaging nine points a game, as compared to the Paul George that came a year after the injury, which was like 23 points a game back to regular Paul George. So right now, Gordon Hayward doesn't look great. The Celtics as a whole don't look great. Have you guys watched much Celtics preseason basketball? And uh, I don't know. Are you are you at all concerned? Obviously, this is you got you can't take everything at face value. But no, I'm not concerned about them. Like big picture, uh, I think. It shouldn't be surprising that Gordon Hayward looks the way he does. This guy's foot was legitimately pointing in the wrong direction a little less than a year ago. Yeah. Um, And like you mentioned, Paul George, everyone remembers the big bounce back year, but he actually had come back in April before that and played Mm -hmm. a few games and looked kind of awful. Yeah. So I think it's going to take a while for Gordon Hayward to look like the Gordon Hayward of old. It might take a few months, but I think that's fine. Maybe it cost the Celtics a couple games early in the season, and maybe they don't get off to that. They probably won't get off to the crazy start they got off to last year. They get a first of all reintegrate Gordon Hayward into the offense. They get a kind of reintegrate Kyrie Irving into the offense that right. went the distance with the Cavs in the playoffs. They, you know, they're adding two very ball dominant players to the team that finished last season. Uh, Jason Tatum's going to expect 
an increased role after the year he had. Guys like Jalen Brown, even Terry Rozier. Like, they have a lot of guys yep. who, you know, say what you will about the team-first culture Brad Stevens has instituted there, but these guys all have pride, mm-hmm. and they all want the ball, and they all want to shoot the ball. So it's going to take a while for them to kind of get uh, on the same page. You know, it's a lot easier to have that team-first attitude when you're down a couple stars, and it's this, like, collective attitude. When all the stars are back, and now you've got, like, nine guys who think they're going to shoot X amount of times— that's when the issues come in. I think they'll be fine big picture, but it shouldn't surprise anyone the way they look right now or maybe the way they'll look the first month or two. I think it's always um, difficult to sort of visualize what a team is going to look like in practice. And like, you know, until they actually play the games, we're looking at them on paper and the Celtics on paper look like a 60 plus win team because they won 55 last year came within a win of the finals and that was you know without Kyrie Irving in the playoffs and without Gordon Hayward for basically the entire season and these are two all-star you know borderline all-NBA caliber players who are being brought back into the fold but there are always fit issues to work out uh there are egos to manage and you know it's not just as simple as like slotting these guys back into the rotation and expecting them to like ascend to like another plane um there's a lot of you know minutes management and uh shot distribution that has to be worked out and uh yeah like like you said i think it might take a bit of time i I do think like there's just so much talent here that like eventually they will figure it out Mm -hmm. um but they might get off to a bit of a bumpy start and if they do i would say just like nobody should be in a huff about it and like i don't think it's going to be anything to worry about um, but these are two like pretty high usage players that they're trying to work back into the fold. And like last year, the way that they thrived was basically having like a, an incredibly egalitarian offense because there were no particularly high usage guys. There weren't any players who really thrived by working in isolation. They needed to move the ball a lot. They needed to cut a lot. Um, and it was easy for those guys to be willing to, you know, I don't even think sacrifice is the right word because none of them had ever like been star players before right so tatum was a rookie right and you know you have al horford there who was basically the fulcrum of their offense in the absence of hayward and irving last year and you don't have to worry about him sort of monopolizing possessions because he's a great guy just like keeping the ball moving uh and stringing possessions together just by like passing and screening uh, and moving around the floor so it might take a bit of time but like i'm not really worried at the end of the day and brad stevens is always going to be kind of alarmist about this stuff that's just sort of his mo like he loves aggressively humble yeah Aggressively, the, the like, even like disparaging of his team, you know, like he loves sure. to come out and kind of like give them a reality check. And I remember after they had that like 16 game winning streak last year, after her, uh, after Irving uh, Hayward got injured, um, they like lost a couple of games in a row after that. And Brad Stevens like, yeah, like we, we're not as good as we thought we were. We're not as good as that winning streak made us look like. Right. Uh, he'll always come out and say stuff like that. That's just sort of how he operates. Um, so I wouldn't read too much into it. And I think, you know, by the time the season starts, they'll be in better shape. And by midseason, I think they'll be in, you know, even better shape than that. All right. What's your preseason trend to watch? Um, I'm just, like, really interested in this Markel Fultz thing in Philly. And they, in the first couple of games, have started him alongside Ben Simmons. And I'm fascinated by that, whether they're going to continue to do that and whether that's going to work with J.J. Redick in the starting lineup instead of Fultz last year, they had one of the absolute best five-man units in basketball. Right. And in theory, Redick is just like a bit of a better fit uh, for that lineup because of how well he moves without the ball, because of the gravity that he presents. And uh, like that just makes him a perfect complement to guys like Simmons and Embiid who can operate out of the post or from the elbows and 
draw multiple defenders. Uh, Simmons, obviously, just like an incredible passer who's going to be able to pick out uh, J.J. Reddick kind of coming off screens. And Fultz is, a, you know, an imperfect fit. Um, obviously, the big question there is, like, is his jumper going to come along? He finally made a three-pointer in their last game, but it was a wide-open three-pointer, you know, with nobody basically within 10 feet of him. And Baby steps. <laughs> Baby steps for sure. Like, I think the jumper has looked okay, but he still needs a ton of time to get it off. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he needs a ton of space to even, like, feel comfortable taking those jumpers. So they have, like, run, like, I feel like a little bit more pick and roll when he's out there. But it's right. kind of like they don't run those pick and rolls in particularly conventional fashion. Uh, like, they will have the big sort of screen a little bit lower for him and then he'll try and snake that pick and roll and like get to the middle of the floor like get to the free throw line where he'll rise up for that jumper but like it's clear to me right now that he needs like a lot of time and space in order to get that shot off and i just don't know if it's going to be sustainable like him him starting alongside simmons for that reason yeah the reddick versus fultz um conversation for the starting lineup is very interesting for many reasons. I, I just think that, like, Redick was very, very good for them last year. I think he averaged, like, 17 points a game. Obviously shot great percentages. And he was just a guy where he enabled them to play the style that, the, that they played, which is very system-based, very much um, cutting, movement, reacting off the ball, um, and quick decisions, right? Like, their ISO guy was very clear. It was going to be Embiid. He's going to be in the post. But otherwise, they're going to keep the ball moving. They got guys like Saric and... Uh, you know, Reddick, who can move off the ball, Covington can move off the ball, and then Ben Simmons, who obviously can, is so big and so skilled that he can get to whoever flo- area of the floor that he wants to, to sort of draw double teams and then kick out and then shoot. And, like, it's Fultz, like, even with a healthy Fultz, I'm not quite sure how he fits into that scheme unless that scheme changes. Now, that's a different conversation. Maybe the scheme needs to change because last year they, they were bottom of the league in terms of percentage of plays that finished with the pick-and-roll ball handler shooting the ball. But... Ton you of know? turnovers too, and a ton of turnovers as well, right? Which, if you run a system-based offense when you're passing and cutting all this stuff, you're going to have a lot of opportunities to, for moving screens, for passes to get busted up, and that's not a surprise that they led the league in turnovers and they've have consistently for so many years. Um, but I mean, I don't know, man. I, I just I think long-term wise, though, they have to take that look as well. And I think just for Fultz's uh, confidence right now, I think that's that's what it's all about just yeah. making sure his confidence is there and the fact that he actually not just hit that corner three but hit four other pull-up mid-range jumpers you know like on a whole like yeah you probably don't want him taking all those mid-range jumpers but like just for his own confidence for him to go out there and play the game that he's sort of used to playing and getting a start and getting steady minutes like it's good man because long term wise i mean obviously they have a lot invested in him they drafted him first overall they traded you know uh, a lottery pick plus uh, the pick that became Jason Tatum for yeah. him. So, and I will say, like, obviously, we focus so much on the jumper, but he's looked pretty damn good in in almost every other facet of the game. Like, mm-hmm. he's super athletic. I think he can be a really good defender. He's a pretty good passer. Um, so, all that stuff, you know, can help that unit thrive. You know, the, and, and the shooting, like, when he's out there with Simmons, like, the spacing is certainly not ideal, but it almost matters less when you have somebody like uh, Embiid down low who can basically just, like, physically overwhelm, like, even multiple defenders. Yeah. Um, like, in that game against the Magic, it was like, there was no spacing when that unit was out there, and Embiid was just clowning dudes in the post anyway. Yeah, Nick Vucevic and Mo Bamba did not have a fun time. Yeah. I was going to throw out, you think, like, they'd obviously be at a size disadvantage on the perimeter, and Reddick's already not a great defender, but, like... 
I'd even give thought in certain matchups to starting Fultz and Redick and moving Covington to the bench because okay. you still have a big front court with Embiid and uh, and Saric and Ben Simmons is like a point forward in a way, but then he can slide to the three defensively. So I'd really give some thought to like starting, you know, offensively it would be like Simmons at the one, Fultz I guess at the two, whatever, mm-hmm. um, Redick at the three, and then Saric and Embiid your big positions, and then when you slide to defense, you basically just swap uh, Simmons and Redick. I think that could work. Yeah, that could. And I, the thing is too, like you, even if you keep Covington in that lineup, like. You have a chance, I think, to force so many turnovers and get out in the open floor that you almost mitigate some of the damage that you're doing to your half-court offense. Right. Um, so I think there's a lot of different ways that they can go with it, and I'm definitely going to be like following that storyline and, and watching the Sixers to see how it develops. Cash, what's that uh, preseason trend you're watching for right now? So I got a couple. Uh, okay. I just want to throw a couple out there, and they're both related to three-point shooting. Uh, the first one, and we've kind of joked about this, I know – uh, Will's a little skeptical about this one, but so the whole timeline uh, in in Vegas for USA minicamp, Andre Drummond tells me he's taking he's making 200 corner threes a day, and that he's adding it to his game this season. It's not just like a you know a, a, a summer game; like it's something he's really doing. Then fast forward to media day, Dwayne Casey comes out and says Andre Drummond has the green light to shoot multiple, and he expects him to be shooting like two to three three pointers a game. Now to put this all in perspective, Andre Drummond. Coming into this season, hadn't hit a three-pointer in two years. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I believe he's like three of 30 or six of 30 for his career. Has never, attempted, has never attempted a more than one three-point attempt in a game. First preseason game last night, Andre Drummond attempts three three-pointers. Mm. So, did he make any? He did not. Okay. He went over three. And so uh-huh. what I want to see and the, what I want to monitor is right. it's very easy for a player and a coach to be like, yep, this is part of my game now. I'm going to do this in October and to say, we're going to keep doing it. We're just going to keep doing it till it works. But it's again, it's easy to say that the first game of the preseason, second game of the preseason, even the first week of the regular season. If we're like a couple weeks from now and Andre Drummond is like one of 18 from three and still taking three or four a game, that's when I'm interested to really start monitoring this and be like, all right. Do you really want this guy taking two or three threes a game? Because now we're talking about wasted possession. So I'm definitely going to monitor that. Uh, the second thing I was going to throw out there, uh, I'm actually surprised you guys didn't mention it because we've talked a lot about Coach Bud and the Bucks. Hmm. I don't know if anyone saw Milwaukee, Chicago, even if you didn't see the game, the box score. So again, let's put something in perspective. Last season, the Bucks finished 25th in three-point attempts per game at 24.7 and 25th in three-point attempt rate three-point field goals into field goal attempts uh they about 29.7 percent of their attempts last year were three-point attempts their first preseason game under bud 45 three-point attempts uh accounted for 50.5 percent of their attempts which would have ranked first last season just ahead of the rockets again obvious caveat with everything we're saying it's early it's first game of the preseason but Man, if you want something to get excited about and kind of salivate over, Giannis was spacing. We're not sure if they have the shooters to actually do that effectively, but my God, if they're going to be launching 45 a game at even a respectable clip, that's mm-hmm. an insane amount of space for a guy with Giannis' talents. Yeah, for sure. Um, you can already see it. Like, Brooke Lopez is stationed out in the corner, which is something that guys like John Henson... I mean, they tried it with uh, Thon Maker, but obviously he's not really a guy who can hit those shots. But, I mean, that's, you know, their main centers. Uh, you know, most notably John Henson, he couldn't do that. Um, Ursan Silva doing the same thing, playing small ball, being in the corner. Um, and yeah, I mean, like that's a clear director from the team, right? You could see it when you watch that preseason game. They're very aggressive at all times at trying to pull up, pushing the pace, playing faster, 
Brogdon shooting a bunch of threes, uh, Bledsoe shooting a lot of threes, Chris Middleton obviously shooting a lot of threes, and then the one guy that's actually allowed to go into the paint and shoot is basically just Giannis. And when you have that kind of, when you establish that kind of threat that everyone's going to shoot, you got to play Giannis a lot more one on one. You know, it's it could be a very deadly season for Giannis. But going back to the Drummond thing, man, can he shoot free throws first? Can he just do that first? He did it at 60% last year, which isn't great, but considering where he was, this guy was like a 38% free throw shooter. It was a bomb, okay. like an abomination. He just, upped that to 60% last year. Okay. I think he's a respectable free throw shooter now for a big guy. Um, and I get what you're saying. He should master that before. Yeah, because that, that's a bigger impact on the bottom line. Agreed. Right. But I, well, I think it speaks a little bit to just how desperate Dwayne Casey and the Pistons are to find something to like unlock that team because... I think there's a very clear ceiling on what that collection of talent can do, even with Blake Griffin in the mix. Like two star, you know, quote unquote star big men and uh, kind of frustrating point guard in Reggie Jackson. Like you're not going far. And I, I really do think it speaks to the desperation in Detroit of just like trying to unlock something with this roster. And it's probably not going to work, to be honest with you. I don't care how many corner threes he was making unguarded in the gym right. in the summer. Like it's also like. Okay, obviously it's better if Andre Drummond can shoot threes than if he can't. But really, what's the benefit of like having him stand in the corner anyway? Because he's know? a great offensive rebounder. He's a great offensive yeah. rebounder. You yeah, probably want him playing closer to the night. basket. And if he's not playing closer to the basket, you don't really want him like in the corner either. You kind of want him in the high post because he's like actually developed into a pretty good passer and like running dribble handoff with him from the elbow was pretty effective for them last year. So like that. that by the way, that all got shot down after Blake Griffin got there because Blake Griffin just took up all the touches there. But yeah, that's right. There's yeah. like too much overlap there, and maybe that's why they're trying to like move Drummond out to the perimeter. But I don't think he's the guy that you want moving out to the perimeter, right? right? I, like yeah. I think you, he's the guy that you want playing closer to the basket, and obviously. He's he's never been much of a post player, uh, which is maybe part of the reason they're trying to like grow him into a spot up shooter, I guess. But um, just like having him down there and like the, his size, like his rebounding acumen, um, I feel like that gives you more value than it would like having him try and be a floor spacer. Yeah, for sure. Okay, and then last thing before we finish the podcast, um, let's make a couple of bold predictions um, for the upcoming season. Uh, let's actually make one each, and I'll get it started, all right? This is very bold. And I don't, I don't quite know if I believe it, but it's mostly an indictment on the Eastern Conference. But I have been impressed with what I've seen out of the Cleveland Cavaliers in preseason thus far. And I'm going to pick them to make the playoffs as the eighth seed, okay? Jeez. Some, someone cue up the Jim Mora clip. <laughs> playoffs! I just hope they can win a game. <laughs> Toronto versus Cleveland in the playoffs again in the 1A matchup. No, um... Look, man, the Cavaliers have a lot of incentive to win. They have a directive. I think Dan Gilbert, the owner, is very prideful. He doesn't want a repeat of what happened last time LeBron left, which, the, if you need a reminder, um, the Cavs went from 61 wins in LeBron's last year there and then 19 wins when he left for Miami. Um, so he doesn't want a repeat of that, and that's why he signed Kevin Love to that big contract. Kevin Love looks great out there. Um so long as he stays healthy, he's one of the best big men in the East. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Uh, Chetty Osman is taking a step forward. Don't forget about Rodney Hood. He averaged 16 points a game last year. He could, you know, bump that up a little bit, especially in a big contract year. And, um, yeah, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm, I'm eager to see what the Cavaliers do because they're playing a surprisingly competent and aesthetically pleasing brand of basketball. I'll say that much. Tyron Lue, I think, is – Gonna have a real chance to coach that team, and I know everyone, all, everyone in Cleveland looks like a joke because of LeBron, but I think 
based on what we've seen so far, they're not a joke. They're actually a, a competent team. They just have other issues. They're not going to win a lot of games, but I think they can make the playoffs in the East. Like, 38 wins? Come on. I think nah. they'll be more respectable than they were the last time LeBron, in the first year after LeBron. They have the to be, time. man. Yeah. The, the best player about that time was like, Mo Williams and Anton Jameson, like, come on. Yeah. This team's better than that. Yeah, give Kevin Love some credit. Yeah. They're not going to make the playoffs. No, they won't. <laughs> they absolutely will not. It says bold, man. It's good. The bold is the key word there, all right? All right, Wolfon, what's yours? Uh, I am saying that the Grizzlies are going to finish above 500. Oh, um, we're talking bold. I think a lot of people are sleeping on them because of how bad they were last year. and They lost a game by 50. <laughs> They were. Oh no! Was it sixty or fifty? I want to double check. They were abjectly terrible. But um, when they started out the season and Conley was healthy, they were kind of good. They beat the Rockets twice, uh, and they were seven and five, I think, when he got injured. And then obviously they started to lose when he went out. And then they decided they were going to tank the season, so they ended up looking a lot worse, I think, than they actually were. By the way, I fact checked. Lost by sixty-one points to the Hornets at home. To the Hornets (laughs) (laughs) at home. (laughs) All right. Well, like they were tanking, they were tanking. Yeah, I mean, they they were playing like uh, Aaron Harrison, like big minutes at point guard for the like the latter half of the season. So, I just like don't read too too much into like the, their overall performance last year. But um, if they can stay healthy, um, and that is kind of a big if, but if they can stay healthy, I just feel like Gasol, who really like mailed it in for the like the, like the latter half of last season. Is Hopefully, uh, going to be like a little bit re-energized. Um, I still don't think he's you know ever going to be the defensive player that he was, uh, and that was definitely noticeable last year. But I think you know as long as he's like giving a hundred percent effort, he's still going to be an impact player. And uh, I think people probably forget how good Mike Conley is. Like when he's healthy, he is absolutely a force. Like he's a top ten point guard who can get it done at both ends of the floor. And I actually think like they don't have any like high-end wings, but they have a lot of wing depth with guys who are at least going to be, like, competent. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, between Kyle Anderson, uh, Dylan Brooks, uh, Wayne Selden Jr., Garrett Temple, like, I know these are unsexy names, but, like, having wing depth is really important, and I feel like they have enough of it. Um, Chandler Parsons as well. I was going to say, that's the sexy name right there, because Chandler Parsons says (laughs) he's he's healthy. He's a sexy guy. He's healthy, and uh, he looks trim. In fairness to Chandler Parsons, like, he's never going to have his overall game back, but he shot the ball really well last year. And, like, that's all that's, they really need him to do. That's something, man. That's that's an NBA yeah. skill. If he can yeah. do that, like... Yeah. Look, if he can shoot the ball well, he might be worth that to... No, <laughs> you know, no, he's he, never going to be worth that. I can't believe back in 2016, two teams were fighting over the opportunity to give him the max contract. Imagine if Portland gave him the max. Jesus, man. Or they, if he actually took the max from Portland, rather. Would it be any worse than Evan Turner's contract? Yeah. I mean, yes. I don't know. Yes. I would much rather have Evan Turner at 17 than Chandler Parsons at 26 um, or whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the Blazers would be screwed regardless, I think. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I just think that there is enough talent on that roster, and like Jaron Jackson Jr., like I haven't even talked about yet, yeah. but like he, I think, is a really tantalizing rookie with right. a skill set that is going to unlock a lot of things for that team that they haven't really had in the past. So, I think he was like second or third in the, the GM poll, which uh, for which player is going to have the best career long term. He's just like a perfect modern big, yeah. right? Like he shoots I, the three, yeah, and defends and every position. Long. I, I think, um, I think they got a steal. Um, and man, I, I don't know. I, I just I, I'm I'm kind of bullish on this roster, mm-hmm. and um, 
I think they could surprise a lot of people. So I'm going to say I don't think they're going to make it into the playoffs just because of such a gauntlet in the West, but I do think they have a chance to finish over 500. Right. Um, the only concern I have about that team right now is Marcus. I don't know how much he has left, man. He's uh, he, At this point of his career, he's a little bit like that um, – I don't know. He's just—he's a little bit mellow. S. He's just in the post right now. He's taking a lot of sh- jumpers. He's not really making an effort to defend, and uh, he's not really efficient anyway. But that's why, like, I think it's—it's it's so important that they got Jackson right because yeah. they won't have to overextend Gasol. Like, and and maybe they just like cut back on his workload. Um, because I mean, I don't know. Like, presumably they are going to share the floor together at various points. But uh, I think Jaron Jackson can also play the five. So I still don't understand why they gave Bickerstaff the full time job. Yeah, it was weird. After losing a game yeah. by 61 points. Yeah. I don't care if you're tanking. I don't care. You have to have some self-respect. And as a coach, you got to get through to your players. You got to do whatever you need to do to I, not lose by 61. I feel like hits. they almost just like threw, like threw him a bone. Like they felt so bad for just throwing him into that situation where he yeah. was destined to fail. They were like, okay, like you are a good soldier and we're going to reward you with this three-year contract. And I, I don't know, man. It's uh, it won't be long until Jerry Stackhouse takes that job. He's already the I think lead assistant over there. Yeah, he's in a good spot. Yeah, he's a good coach. Cash, what's your uh, what's your bold prediction? All right. Well, I don't know how bold. Well, first of all, the way uh, Will noted it when I gave him my bold prediction, this would be bold because you wrote it down as Wizards win seventy plus, and I absolutely <laughs> oh. did not predict that. Right? I don't know if Ernie Grunfeld hacked into your computer or something. <laughs> but, uh, no, my, my bold-ish prediction is that the Warriors return to set the 70-win plateau. Okay, Warriors um, win 70, not Wizards. What's that? Warriors, yeah. yes. Um, I get that it might not seem that bold. They set an NBA record with 73 wins two years ago, but last year they also were very complacent, a little banged up, and slipped all the way to, I believe, 58 wins. Um, so I'm basically saying they're going to win 12. It's going to be a 12-win improvement for a team that you'd kind of think hit their ceiling. I just think, uh, I think Steve Kerr has talked about this too. He mentioned it at Media Day that, like, he hopes that with their place in history very secure now and maybe not as much not as much pressure, they can just go about and play a little looser this year and not play like the weight of the world is on their shoulders all the time. I think there is a renewed energy in these guys wanting to win for Boogie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know Boogie's not going to play until into the new year sometime. But when he eventually does come back, we talked about this, I just think the one, the one area that you could attack this team in and the one way you could expose them is now mo- it doesn't exist because DeMarcus Cousins right. can play. Uh, and when he plays, it's just going to make them that much more unbeatable. So, yeah, I'm going to say they'll have the odd, you know, uh, crap the bed game and the odd first half where they're somehow down 16 and win anyway. But I, I think they're going to find a way to get back to 70 wins. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, like, look, if you factor in regular laziness, they're probably going to win 65. Because, like, look, last year, the reason they won, like, whatever it was, 58, um, was because like they had some injuries right and you don't expect that same rash of injuries to happen again like last year they were playing with like draymond as their only one of their stars out there because kd was hurt and steph was hurt and clay was randomly clay's like the most durable player ever and he he got hurt so you don't expect that to repeat itself man and also i, I can really see one of steph or kd trying to go for the mvp this year because like why not what are you doing why, why are you just giving up these opportunities to like you know have other people pass you by in the standings like we all know that KD and Steph are better players than James Harden and Russell Westbrook, right? But they don't really go for it in the same kind of way. So, you know, maybe they go back to that because your prime is only so long. Anyway, this podcast is only so long. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the podcast. We'll be back sometime next week to recap uh, more of preseason action for Cash and for Wolfund. Thank you for listening to Pound the Rock. Pound the Rock.